0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. and glad you're here. Let's jump right to it. We're going to start this morning with parenting, and I'm going to start with this verse in Psalm 78. It reads like this. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And so we find in a lot of places in Scripture, there's these commandments. You find it in Deuteronomy, find it in the book of Numbers. You can find it in the New Testament where parents are, uh, the stewards are in charge of passing along uh, the things of God. Uh, Not only the wisdom, knowledge, values and the history of the culture, but also the knowledge of God. His works, his kingdom, his promises are, are all part of that. And when you really understand that, then parenting becomes somewhat daunting, right? Because we have a precious treasure that we are to pass on to the next generation and it's incumbent on us to pass it along right and wisely. As someone most famously said, parenting is not for the faint of heart, right? So we've learned that as we go on. The other thing that's uh, pretty amazing when you really think about it is there is actually very little direct parenting information located in the scriptures themselves. You do not open to the middle of the Bible and there's Parenting 101. And here's what you need. Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Awesome, you got the down. Go a little farther in the book as you head to the Here's Parenting 202. And it marks down. Then you get to Parenting 303. And then, of course, there's graduate school when you get to Revelation. No, it doesn't work like that, right? Uh, a great deal of uh, the parenting advice, a great deal of the parenting information must be inferred from What's laid out in scripture and inferred what God talks about in terms of principle and it, it has to be absorbed from spending time in the scriptures. Uh, Alvin Toffler was a guy who was quoted as saying parenthood remains the greatest single preserve of the amateur. You know we used to have amateur sports remember that some of us would remember am- some of us would go back to the remembering where the Olympics We're amateur sports, right? Where we know nowadays they're all professionals and they all get paid and they all work at that. And it's really the best of the best competing against the best of the best. But really, if you think about the one place where amateurs really get a crack at something, it's parenting. Right? Never been parents before. And now suddenly you're given a gift and you become a parent. And uh, it's like, this is wonderful. (laughs) Ha ha! yeah, what do I do, right? So we're going to look at some of that this morning. Before we go any farther too, there's something else that needs to be mentioned. When it comes to the topic of parenting, uh, there's a lot of pain in this room regarding this topic, all right? And uh, the generational impact of these kind of verses create great hope until it's your child who doesn't walk. The verse "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he'll not depart from it" can actually feel like a betrayal. Really, Lord, what happened? Where did that? Where did that go? What? What did we do wrong? Uh, tremendous guilt. Uh, why my son? Why my daughter? Why don't you care? Aren't you listening? And the pain can often be silent, but searing. And I just want to say this morning that one of the dangers of being a pastor is not being aware of that um, and just running over the top of that with all this advice like, you know, you know all these things and not realizing you're running right over the top of some mom or some dad's heart kind of thing. And I just want you to know I'm sensitive to it. I've become much more sensitive to it. Uh, In my 20s, this would have probably been a very different message because before I had kids, I thought I knew it all, right? And uh, so you know how that works. Here's the thing, I can't fix it for you. I wish I could. But know that I hear the pain and know that God hears your fears and concerns also. And what I want to say is this. Keep on praying. Often we ourselves get to the point where we're so dismayed, we stop praying. And um, and my advice and encouragement this morning would be lean in, not out. Lean towards God in this. Let Him absorb that. Uh, he self-identifies as a parent. Do you realize that? Our Father who art in heaven. And so he identifies with that role and he certainly as a parent can identify with your parents' heart and the prayers that you send that way. So before we go further, could could I pray again just with those sensitivities on the line? Father, this morning uh, some of us here are teenagers and uh, we, we aren't even dating, let alone married, let alone having kids. Some of us um, have little ones scurrying and running and Uh, we're in that exciting stage Lord some of us have junior high and senior high some of us have grown children and there's all kinds of different stages Lord what I can do is walk through the core of this and then have you interact with your sons and daughters uh, for conversations that you'd like to amplify or highlight things that you'd like to um, underline for them again that's maybe brought up in something you've actually been having a conversation with them on Um, but the ultimate illustration of this is you. You are the ultimate parent. You're the ultimate father. And we ask for your great help this morning for all the layers that exist here. I don't even know what's all here, but you do. And it's with that confidence that we give the morning to you and ask this in your name. Amen. All right. All right, so when it comes to parenting, a couple of things that are are pretty basic. Number one, parenting is really about avoiding the extremes, all right? Uh, it's about finding balance. Uh, if you have things that you kick way over on and over amp on, not only do your kids know it, but everybody else knows it, right? And so what you want to learn to do, uh, part of that is finding balance. And uh, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Last week we talked about, remember in the message when we were talking about the sexuality, said that every couple has a God-given rhythm? Right? And that's not just sexually, it's relationally, it's woven in. And if you find that rhythm, it really works. Well, I want to say that that's also true for parenting. There is a God-given rhythm and pace for your family. And if you find that rhythm and you find that pace, uh, it really works. Now, here's the great danger of parenting. We're always looking at other families to see what the pace should be. Okay? And what one family's pace is, is not another family's pace. And why can't we be like them? Well, because the simple fact is you're not them. You're you. And you need to be the best you that you can be. And you need to find the rhythm for your family, not what works for them. And so a lot of competition and envy would stop right there if we we just did that. Neither too stiff nor too loose are good strategies. Right? The military, you'll do it because I said so. How well did that work for you? right? Then why would we think it would work for our kids? And the two loose, hey, it, you can do whatever you want. Woohoo! let her rip, right? How well does that work? I mean, no, that's no good either, right? So there's a balance of both rhythm and discipline and skill that have to come together um, in that. I say this, uh, I, you, many of you have heard me say this quote that, um, you know, y- you have to stay flexible because if you get rigid, you'll break. Right, Flex and roll, or you get rigid, you'll break. And that's a great truth in parenting. In parenting, you need to learn how to flex. Right? You have to know how to shift, uh, not only to the relationship or the circumstances, but also the spirit of what's going on. What's actually going on versus what you're actually watching. It's a critical skill that has to be developed. Uh, having said that, uh, I want to highlight two styles of parenting that merit comment this morning. Now, know this is my personal soapbox. All right? Know that I'm old school. I'm from Wisconsin. All right? I grew up with the jump, yes, sir, how high and how long would you like me to hang school? All right? and, uh, but there's two particular ones that I think um, I want to speak to because they are not healthy. And the, they're these two. First one is child-centered parenting. The other one is helicopter parenting. Right. It is rampant in our culture and I'm watching it. And if you talk to the teachers in our fellowship who have to work with the children who are coming out of these styles of parenting, they will tell you we're creating a generation of monsters. All right. Uh, The whole thing of Johnny needs to succeed. Johnny, um, we will do everything for Johnny. And where where do you see this erupt the most, right? How about sports games, sports leagues? You ever see soccer parents? You ever see basketball parents? You ever see football parents yelling and screaming from the sidelines, arguing, why haven't you put my Johnny in? Or why doesn't my Betsy get to, right? And uh, And they just go crazy, okay? Because life exists for their Johnny or their Betsy to have the best opportunity possible. And all of life is determined by them having the absolute best chance. Now, the second one is sort of close to it. It's helicopter parenting. That's where I want to so protect my children that nothing bad will ever happen to them and they will never fail. Right? Now is there anything wrong with being a good parent? No, I'm talking balance here. But I'm watching people overamp on this to where it is like crazy. And ask yourself this question. Where did you learn more about life when everything went well or when things got bad? Did you learn more from your successes or your failures? Isn't it often in our failures we really not only learn about God, but in our failures we're often drawn towards God because we suddenly recognize we have a need? If we protect Johnny or Betsy from everything bad that will ever happen to them, we may actually be keeping them from the Lord. Now, am I saying we shouldn't protect our children? I think you have watched Pam and I parent well enough to know that we do that, that we bounce, but I think you can also see this is going on in our culture and it's an over-amping um, to where I, I know parents who do their homework for their kids. All right? I, there's some fifth graders who are turning amazing, amazing assignments. Okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, they, they could go to college right now, and the problem is that's true because the person doing it for them is the college person who's turning in their homework for them. Does that help Johnny when he gets to college? No, these kids flounder and fail and... So I just want to call a correction to these two um, styles. Now, it's true that there's a lot more bad examples of how to parent, but what are some of the positive ways to parent? All right, We've, I've pointed out these, but um, what are some positive ways we can go about it? Let me uh, point out four rules of parenting that I think are very important. Uh, I'll actually give you a fifth one this morning. But here's four rules of parenting. If you're talking about what just ground zero, here's what I learned in my youth years uh, Uh, in the church. Number one, you can't give away what you don't have. Think of this in terms of parenting. Think of this in terms of faith. You can't give away what you don't have. You can fake it. You can act like you got it. But if you don't actually possess it, you can't give it away. And that would be essentially true of a relationship with Jesus. That would also be true of uh, wanting to talk to your kids about faith and that sort of thing. Number two, you can't teach others what you don't know. Right? We all have blind spots. A great deal of parenting is figuring out what our blind spots are, and many times bringing other people into the equation because they don't have that blind spot and they can speak to our children in ways we can't even speak to them. Right? That's a great benefit of spiritual aunts and uncles and grandparents and all that kind of stuff is they can balance out where our blind spots are. But you can't teach others what you don't know. Number three. You can't take others farther than where you've been. I have One of the great sins of parents is enforcing a spirituality on their kids that they themselves don't possess. Uh, one of the famous stories back in my youth group is I had a, a dad come in and just blow up on me. And I mean... Vehement blow up. And he laid down the law, and here's the things you've got to do. And this youth group is a bunch of goofballs and all going on. And I want this thing cranking. And I want quiet times. And you, as a youth leader, should know that. Why aren't you leaving? Bang, bang. And he just went, and I'm like, whoa. I had hair back then, and it was going straight. Okay? <laughs> and I just had just enough wisdom to not answer him. And when he got done, I asked him, I said, Can I ask you a question? He said, Sure what? I said, Do you have quiet times? And it was like, whoa. And I looked at him, he was silent for about a minute, and I said, why would you demand a spirituality for your kids that you yourself don't possess? And I said, here's why that's so important. I said, as a youth pastor, I have an impact on your children, but you as the dad, your example is 100 times more powerful so if you're not doing it and I do all those things you just said, you've already vetoed my efforts because you aren't backing it up. It changed the conversation significantly. Now here's the good point of that story. That dad went on and did it. That dad realized he had gotten caught. That dad realized he was wrong. That dad read through, the, I believe he read through the Bible that year, and that dad turned around and turned a corner on a bunch of things. So there's a good ending to that particular story but you can't take others farther than where you've been. Number four, here's the scary one. You reproduce who or what you are. Okay? You know, it, the most frustrating thing about parenting is they never listen to what you say, but they do exactly what you do. You ever notice that? Why is that kid that way? Oh, man, he's just like me. Oh! You ever notice that? They, they pick it up even though they never pay attention to anything you're saying. Somehow at osmosis, and they, can, right? And, and you're like, Where, why is that kid that way? And then you look in the mirror and go, oh, that's why. And what's, here's what's really weird. If you're uh, in your 40s or 50s, okay, this carves out a segment of us, but if you're in 40s or 50s, not only do you look that way and see your yourself in the kid, but you look this way and you see your parent in you too, right? So you see both sides, you go, nah, right? You're your father and your kid all at the same time. It's a weird experience, right? So... But there is truth, you tend to reproduce who or what you are. Here's the fifth one, and this is true, really true of parenting. Your capacity to lead others, this would be as a parent, your capacity to lead others is directly proportional to your capacity to carry the pain of others. Now that's a statement that is used in pastor circles uh, to talk about the need for pastors to be able to persevere in ministry when things get tough because the number one job of pastors is to carry other people's pain. Um, There are many things I can't talk about. Many things that go unsaid uh, simply because it's my job to carry it. And I have to give those things to the Lord. Isn't that true of parenting? There are many burdens that only a parent knows. There are many pains that only a parent knows. And uh, your capacity to handle that well instead of whining is really significant, right? We tend to whine, all right? Let me personalize that. I tend to whine. Maybe you don't, all right? But I tend to whine and complain where instead I should be praying. So uh, those are five things that I think are kind of helpful. Now, one of the questions is, all right, with that in mind, how do I become a good parent, Alright? And I want to share something this morning that is really radical, cutting edge. They've just discovered it. It is phenomenal. When you ask the question, how do I become a good parent? Here's all the secrets of the Bible locked into one sentence. Right here. Become like Jesus. Right? Do you remember this morning I said God identifies as a father. He identifies as a parent. Our father who art in heaven. He's our dad. Abba, father. God identifies as a parent. So if we want to be a good parent, we need to become like him. And therefore, we need to become like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, there's this verse that uh, is a major verse for me in my life. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. This is the change process, sanctification process that Jesus is doing in our life. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And I think we often forget that one of the core purposes of the sanctification process is to become more like Jesus now we know that right but we just don't like it in the daily ordinary circumstances of life because it's irritating okay why doesn't the why don't the wash wash itself why don't the clothes fold themselves why did they track this in again i just cleaned that up okay do you know how much that's going to cost to fix that fender right and and we think about their sanctification process we don't think about ours in the midst of it and uh, that's really important. If we want our children to be more like Jesus, but forget that the primary way they become that way is by watching us, we've missed it. Right? Because trust me, they are watching. They are watching. They pick up on the spirit of it. They pick up on the tone of it. Moms and dads, they pick up on what's said, and even more so sometimes what's not said. you got really smart kids. All right? And they're looking, they're watching. As I mentioned, parents often want a spirituality in their children that they do not have themselves. Notice in this verse that the transformation, when you read this verse, uh, is one degree at a time. Any of you does that bug anybody? It bugs me. That's awfully slow. I want like I want like the movies, right? I you know. Transformers, I mean, just kick it, let's go. And and I want it to be instantaneous and I want to be there and I want to be together and I want to be, look at me. And and it doesn't, it isn't working that way, right? It's an amazingly incremental, slow process that God's involved with when he talks with this transformation. And this is where we precisely make our mistake. We allow things at home that we would never do at church when it should be exactly the opposite. What we say is church is real, so we'll be holy at church because everybody else is watching. At home, nobody's watching, so then I can be the way I really am. You ever heard somebody say, that's the way I am, deal with it. Well, is that a legitimate category for a Christian? Can a Christian say, that's your problem. I'm not changing, you deal with it. No, right? And where the fallout of that comes is with our with our children. One of the most important things that a parent can do is share the gospel. But I'm not talking about the words or the formula of the gospel. That's important. But I'm talking about the spirit and the truth of the gospel uh, of the living God and what that looks like. So uh, when Pam and I got married, one of the things we spent time talking about in this wouldn't so necessarily be true of you, but is very true of us, is the fishbowl effect. What do you do when you're the pastor and the the married couple and everybody watches you, right? And everybody's measuring you and everybody's looking at you and that kind of stuff. And what I said to her is I said, look, here's what I think we should do, because this is what I've done in my single years. Let's just be us. Let's just be us at home and let us just be us at church and let us just be us if we're downtown in Mill Creek at the town center and let us just be us on vacation and let us just be us. For one thing that's really helpful because I don't have to remember what I forgot, right? I don't have to remember what I was supposed to posture in different places. And and Pam and I, the second thing that I think was really important in our parenting decisions is we said, let's make home more real than church. Right now, Probably in your world, that doesn't carry as much significance, but in our world, that carries enormous significance, all right, because you've all heard the war stories about pastor's children and all that kind of stuff and things going on. We realize there's no way to fight that battle, so let's just be us, but let's make home more real than church. So that if people come to our house and they they see us, they go, oh, that's Stephen Pam. If they see us at Azul's in the town center, oh, that's Steve and Pam. If they see us on vacation, they go, oh, that's Steve and Pam. And we're just consistent in how we act. Our our kids will get the same thing. And so we've worked very hard at that uh, kind of consistency. One of the things in parenting that then comes up is the need to die to self. And notice I added the ishness to it. Okay, Any of you realize that there's a process that god used in your life that when you were single right the cross was supposed to uh help you die to yourself we're supposed to pick up our cross daily most of us got that in theory and concept but the truth is we're really still pretty selfish and god said good let me help you with that and he let us get married did any of you notice that when you got married your selfishness instantly disappeared Poof, you were awesome right No, didn't it suddenly flare in ways you'd never thought of? And suddenly there's this terrible, stubborn, ornery person across from you. Like, God, you better fix them. And he says, good, can I start with you? Because you're the one that ratcheted them up that way. What? No, I don't have a problem. It's them, fix them. No, can I start with you? No, you can't start. Well, there's the problem then, right? And if we didn't get it in marriage, then what does God do? He gives us children, right? And what pops up? Our selfishness. Hey, don't you realize I have a life too? What am I, just a human taxi service? What's really behind all that? We're irritated. They're interrupting my agenda. I want to have fun. I don't like responsibility. I don't like always having to be on. I don't like being the parent all the time. How come it became my job to be the big jelly roll sheriff of the house and have to be the bad guy all the time, right? And really what is all that behind that is I'm chafing Because my selfishness is getting cranked out of me. If you think about it, there's a lot of stuff that God hasn't told us. Do you have questions for God? Have you ever thought of like when heaven comes, if you could just get uh, some time with God and the, the questions that you wanted to ask him? You ever thought about all the questions? And you ever notice he hasn't answered any of those yet? Right? It's just kind of this big blank. right? But if you think about... Now, if, I'm looking at a lot of people who know the Bible well. All right? Think about what you really know from the Bible. All right? You're not rookies at this. You guys have been at this a long time. You know the Word. You've been in the Word. Basically, if you think about it, one of the things that he has given us a ton of information on is the kind of person he is. Right? In other words... We know what his heart's like. We know that. He's given that to us. Uh, We know what his character is like. We know what his love is like. We know what his principles are and what he stands for. And, And so God has given us a ton of information about what he's really like. And so in the process of parenting, if we ask the question as parents, how do I become like Jesus? Then a passage like this really allows us Uh, a path it gives us a path to follow on because the goal is if I become like Jesus my kids will pick it up so really God I guess the person in the family you got to get a hold of is me right and it's in it's in the um, wrestling with this and it's it's in the uh, process of the ordinary where we get We get clipped because the question comes, okay, now, wait a minute, stop How is that possible? Like, I mean, don't parents just naturally love their kids? And the answer to that was, well, of course, parents just naturally love their kids. But do parents ever get irritated with their kids? Do parents ever get angry with their kids? Do parents ever want to clobber their kids? Right? Sure they do. Because what happens? Our love for them isn't near as deep as we think it is. Because we're measuring it on human standards instead of God's standards. And one of the things that God talks to us about is this process of learning to love better. Uh, Last week we were talking about the seven battles of marriage. Remember, I had them up there. I had gender and loyalties and money, sex, power, privacy. Do you remember what the last one was? It was children. I've seen a lot of couples do really well in marriage and they're rocking along. Steve, we're doing great. And then children come along and the basket turns upside down, right? Because now margin is being stolen and suddenly I'm having conflicts that I didn't have before and suddenly there's conflicts with me and my spouse that we didn't have before. And I realize I'm not near as good at loving as I thought I was. And our fleshly responses can really come out when our margins are shrunk or evaporated. Under pressure, what's really in us comes out. And what really comes out isn't pretty most of the time. That's why we work so hard to hide it. I didn't mean to say that. Well, yeah, we did. We just didn't want it to come out. See, because in our culture what we've learned is that we're good and we're good people and good people do good things. Where the Bible tells us there's another picture, it says we're sinners and sinners tend to do bad things and sinners tend to blow things up, right? And that we still have to wrestle with that nature. So what would that look like in terms of parenting? Because parenting in the flesh is all too common, right? So here's a list, you can see both lists. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and following to the end of the chapter, it's talking about the war between the flesh and the spirit. It says, For the flesh is opposed to the spirit, and the spirit is opposed to the flesh. They are contrary to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. In other words, one of the two natures is going to rule you. Often in our world, they're kind of mushed together, right? But if you look at the two, uh, the one on the right is the fruit of the spirit. And then what I did for the list on the left was just took what would be the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. So let's take one of these and just blow it up and we'll look at it. So for example, let's take anger. Uh, do parents ever get angry? And rightfully so. Okay. Do parents ever get angry? Yeah, parents get angry, right? And, and we want to believe our, right, our anger is always righteous and it's always that kind of stuff. But the Bible warns over and over again against the toxic stain of anger, our verbal vomiting, our letting it fly, our hitting other people. And, uh, and we couch it so well that people at church would never know we do that. But what does that create at home? Let me just give you two verses. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Another translation of that verse is, Fathers, do not cause your children to anger. Why do we cause them anger? Because we pound them, push them, push them, push them, till they just they blow up, right? Get off me. You're killing me. I can't do it. Leave me alone. Right? It says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Notice the difference between the two, the difference in the two lists. In James 1, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What are we usually good at? We are usually good at slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Right? <clears throat> we blow up. Why such a warning? Because it says, For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. When we allow that kind of anger in our homes, does it create the righteousness of God, the peace of God within our families? No. Who's called to rein that in? Isn't it the parent? Isn't the parent supposed to be the balanced one? And so there is an uh, incredible opportunity to catch myself. Am I operating in anger or am I operating in love? Just If you just look at several of those, how you can see. For example, what's the spirit of the home? Are we all funked out? Call that depression, right? Nobody's talking to each other. We're all hiding in our rooms. Or is there joy in the home? The joy of the Lord, by the way, is our what? Strength. What do you think Satan worked so hard to rob us of? Yeah, we're saved. Right? Is anybody impressed with that? No. How about conflict? Does it matter if there's peace in the home? Oh yeah, if you grew up in a home filled with strife and conflict, boy, you know, right? That's a bad combination for children. And peace is an important thing. How about... Uh, patience. Do parents need to have patience? Does parents' patience ever get tested? That's a dumb question to ask, right? I know that. I am one. Okay? But I think you can see in these two lists, it gives you some touch points as a parent rather than one, two, three steps. What's the terrain look like? What does the territory look like? For example, in, in, this, in these lists here, which ones on, on your left are hard? Which words, one or, take one or two of those, which one of those really stand out to you as things that you could agree with God to work on? And on the ones on the right, there's probably one or two that you're really good at. You actually do those well. But there's a couple of others that really aren't even there. Right? And you know you God's talked to you. You've been in a conversation, some of us, for 20-some years of, hey, you need to add this to your repertoire. This is part of my character that you've got to build in. And if we build that in, then we see great progress. The old refrain, I was never like this until I got married. right? Or I was never like this until I had kids. That's not true. We were always like that. We were just able to cover it up. Children don't create the problem. They really what? Reveal the problem. Does that make sense? God used them as a mirror to see for us as parents to look and see where we have to move farther in the sanctification process. And if we embrace that process, even if it's as imperfect and uh, herky-jerky as all get-out, our kids will still notice it. They will know what we're striving for, and they will know that we're trying to get a handle on that, and they will actually support us in that process. That's why the core of parenting, the core of the Christian life, uh, this is going right back now to the foundation, when, when you talk about any of this, the core of parenting has always been the process of repentance. Primarily, God is working through us first so that we reflect something right to our children. And when we do that, it makes a huge difference. We want to move from the left side of the characteristics to the right side of the characteristics. This is often called sanctification of the ordinary because where does this happen? This doesn't happen at church where we are smart people and we are socialized people and we know how to behave in public. We know what's appropriate, we know what's expected, and we do a good job of it. Do we always act that way at home? No, at home we say there's not an audience so I can act the way I want to. But if you're a parent, there actually is an audience. And it's in these ordinary moments of life, and apparently I'm, I'm following Paul Tripp here, which I suppose I should watch the videos, that would be helpful, right? Um, but um, it's in these uh, the ordinary moments of life, the moment-by-moment many pressures and crises that fill our everyday existence that our kids really get to see the sanctification process and whether we're leaning up towards it or leaning, leaning away from it. So let me give you some Some tips here. Here's five secrets to being a good parent, all right? Let me give you five. I've called these over the years, uh, and I think they'll hold water. So let's take a look at these. Number one, you want the number one secret of being a, a good parent? Love your spouse. Most of us think it's if I love the kid well. No, you know what Scripture says? You love your spouse well, and they'll pick it up. You love them primary. Matter of fact, you love them more when we would discipline our kids when they were little. Say, look, here's the deal. That's my wife. You make me choose between me and my wife, I choose her. You moved in with us. We didn't move in with you. I told you, I'm old school, right? And and I, I, I tell them, you don't hit her. You don't touch her. That's my prized possession. You leave her alone and you talk with her respect. Right? Because that's my wife. And my kids know I love Pam. Right? It's an enormous security to them when we love each other. It is an enormous insecurity when they know something's wrong. Your children are smart. They may not be able to put their finger on it, but if there's something wrong, they'll pick up on it. So number one secret of parenting, love your spouse well. Number two, be consistent. All right it does you don't have to be perfect, you just have to be consistent, avoid these big highs and lows and herks and jerks, and just be consistent consistent with what? well, be consistent with discipline that means you and your wife in my case it 's my wife in your case it could be your husband, but be consistent with things like discipline right just be consistent don 't treat a two like it 's a ten like you know they forgot their pencil at school, and so you they 're on uh you know they're locked down for 3 months right you're you're you know you're done you're busted that's un, unforgivable it's a pencil okay that would include sometime the kitchen floor that would sometime even include the bumper on the car right it's a thing are you okay but be consistent so they know they can trust you and they they don't have to worry about you going all off on the on the Deep in on something. Second, be consistent in patterns and rhythms. Be consistent as a family. One of the great things that's still worth doing is a wisdom thing doing. Eat meals together. Turn the devices off. Turn the TV off. Unless it's one of those days where you all agree, hey, we're going to watch this show together while we're eating. That's, that's fun too. But ha- actually have consistent time together. Figure out where that works as your family. Just be consistent. Second thing. Be appropriate, all right. Um, in this, this would be appropriate with discipline. We talked a little bit about that, right? The the offense, the the correction should match the offense, right? And a lot of times, a great thing is says, you know what? And kids hate this. This is really bad. If you say, you know what, we're gonna talk about it together. I'm gonna go talk with your mom, and we'll pray about it, and then we'll come back to you. You know. They'd rather you just beat them, okay? That's way worse torture because now they're sitting there sweating in the room like, oh my gosh, they're praying about it to God, I'm dead, you know. It's, It's that kind of thing, right? That sometimes is a great, you know, form of discipline in and of itself, but be appropriate. You know, what's an appropriate form? Or like even with families and times, what's appropriate bedtimes? What's appropriate? Just balance. Think of balance here. Uh, in terms of family. And if you're going to make an exception, letting them know why you're going to make an exception. Here's the fourth one persevere. A lot of us quit way too soon. Matter of fact, some of us have adult children. We've quit praying for them. That's the way they are. No, who said that? Are you in heaven yet? No. Are they in heaven yet? No. Then why have we quit praying? It isn't all over. God hasn't played all his cards yet. How do you know you will not yet? Lead your children to salvation. If there's anybody you led to Christ, wouldn't it be your son or daughter? Right? And so, persevere. Part of parenting is learning to endure pain. Not only your pain, but your children's pain. It is hard to watch your children go through pain. But one of the things God will teach you is don't always rescue them. They need to go through some of that stuff. How did you learn? Wasn't it when you splatted into a wall and said, Ow, that hurts. I don't think I'll do that again. Right? That's how they learn too. It is a terrible thing as a parent to watch them splat at the wall. It's an even harder thing as a parent to let them do it. And know that it is of God and know that God will use it. We want to stop them and sometimes when we stop to protect them, do you realize we're actually standing in God's way of letting what He wanted to get done, done? Now I'm not talking about you let somebody run in your house and kill your children. I'm not talking about... You take the brakes out on the car, so when they go down the road, they crash into a tree. And I talk, can we just balance here again? I'm talking about the everyday ins and outs of life that kids go through. Sometimes it's our job to pray, not protect. God is the one who protects. And sometimes we get that mixed up, and we think we're God. And I just want to tell you, moms and dad, and this is going back to the child-centered parenting and the helicopter parenting, you make a wonderful parent, you make a lousy Jesus. And when you try to be the Holy Spirit for him, it usually doesn't turn out very well. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit for him, And all of this would come together. The fifth one is pray together. What a shock, right? You've never heard that from me before. You want to know the number one key to good parenting? Praying together. If you love your spouse, won't you pray with them? If you love your kids, won't you pray for them? Right? And yet, many of us don't. And we wonder why there's no life, why there's no revival, why there's... Well, I want to suggest that as parents we need to pray together. The whole mystery of the husband and wife in a family, Paul says, is the mystery of Christ in the church in Ephesians 5. And it's the mystery of the Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, husband, wife, children. There's something really profound in that. When you get a handle on that, you realize you're engaged in something that's really good. Now, if you're a young parent here this morning... You got little squirt bombers running around, okay? And uh, you're pulling your hair out and trying to figure out what you should do. Let me give you some things as parents that you need to collect. Okay? Here's some things you need to collect. I'm not talking about being a hoarder, but there are some things you should collect, have a good collection of. First thing that you should collect uh, as a parent are good examples, okay? Pull them from anywhere. There are some fantastic Christian uh, biographies and autobiographies, um, Written about heroes of the faith that are absolutely wonderful to sit down with your children and read through. Uh, they're even good as adults. Okay, I mean I, I like reading them and uh, and but collect good examples. What does it look like to walk in faith? What does it look like to sacrifice? What does it look? Well, here's some things. Uh, stories in the Bible are are great examples of that. Second thing, w- collect good memories. Okay? And good memories, here's the mistake we make in the American cultures. We say good memories are big memories. Okay? If it's big, then it's good. Not necessarily so. You know, it's fascinating. It's the little stuff your kids remember. Remember how we used to bake cookies at Christmas time? Remember how we used to go sit out in the back and have a campfire? Uh, I know in our, our family, one of the big things that's really created these kind of memories is my family's in Wisconsin and Kayla's now going to school down in Arizona. So our road trips are amazingly, amazing family memories. And uh, we just came back from a trip to Wisconsin. I have to tell you, it's the best trip I've ever done in 40 years. That We will never forget that trip. We'll never forget what happened on that trip. It will be in the Mitchell's lore and legend of great things that have happened for the rest of our uh, life together. And uh, it, it was just a fantastic thing. But uh, often, you ever hear of families who have the vacations from hell? Right? You're fighting the whole way, yelling and screaming, he's touching my side of the seat. Right? And, and going along, we've never had that. And I think it's just because my mentors uh, helped me figure out how to do that well. Third, we all have blind spots. There's all things we're good at, right? There's some things we're good at, but there's also some things we're not so good at. And so collect um, resources. You can read up. You can get educated. There's things that you can learn. Uh, there's people you can pull into the equation that can really help. Uh, sometimes you, you ever just, and those of your parents have had this experience, you're just banging your head against the wall. This is the end of the world, the end of your family, and you maybe muttered something to somebody in the lobby, and they said, oh, we we tried this. Bing. You're like, oh, how did I never think of that? you got to be kidding me. And then you try it, and it works. You're like, oh, for the love of Pete. I spent all that time praying. This is all I had to do, really? Well, if you hadn't spent all that time praying, you probably would have never asked that question. Never, God would have never ran into that person. and You never would have got that answer. Right? So collect good resources is a good thing. Number four, collect good friends. There's a small little tiny verse in the Bible that says, bad friends corrupt good morals. Okay? And it's really true. And so who you hang with makes a big difference for your kids. And that's one of the great benefits of a church is you usually hang around some pretty great people for all the stuff in the culture that says we're all hypocrites and we're all bigots and we're all, uh, you know, we're all, you know what? Some pretty great people to hang out with. And you know why? Because I hang out with you. And I go to your homes and I like you. And I like my kids being around you. And I'm looking at a bunch of you who I've hung out with and going, I would give, I would give my kids to you any day of the week. And I know you'd reinforce almost exactly what I'd reinforce. And that I could pass them off to you, and if something happened, you'd take care of them like they were your own. That's a pretty good, there's spiritual uh, aunts and uncles in here, there's spiritual grandparents in here, there's spiritual cousins in here, there's spiritual brothers and sisters in here. And, you know, one of the things we forget about is church is a great place for our kids. Even those of you who have kids graduated out. By the way, I saw Tessa on TV yesterday, All right, And... uh Who you hang with shapes them because they'll know where you'll be. Oh, yeah, they're over at so and so. You ever hear your kids say that? And they say it with delight and they say it with security because they know who you're hanging with. And then the last one I would tell you has made the biggest difference in my life I have good mentors. Uh, I was very fortunate when I came to Christ uh, in Green Bay. Jan and Sharm Hedinga, he was the pastor. They were the pastoral team there. And, and Jan and Sharm took me under their wing and they mentored me for 25 years. And if Sharm uh, came to me uh, just at the annual meeting this week and said, Steve, you've done such a great job with your kids. They just, they're so radiant. I said, well, you know, you get a great degree of credit for that because you and Jan showed me how that worked. I said, I didn't have necessarily a family that operated that way. And you taught me over 25 years how to be a good parent. And so good mentors are really helpful, spiritual uh, grandfathers and grandmothers who you can go and talk to. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, you bring something up and they go, oh yeah, we ran into that. Here's here's what it looked like for us. And you go, Really? Somebody else is going through this? Right? And the answer is, oh yeah. That's called the process of life and a lot of people are going through that. Well, I hope these are helpful. What I've tried to do this morning is not a 10-step thing for parenting because I don't think... That necessarily works at all. What I've tried to give you this morning is more of the terrain of parenting, more of the the turf that I know you and I walk every day of the week. Where are you in that terrain? And this morning as the message came up, where are you, what has the Lord been talking to you about in your parenting style. Maybe it's an attribute. Maybe it's a character quality that's not been developed yet. Maybe it's something that you need to build in. Maybe you're just irritated to death that as the pastor, I keep bringing up this praying thing together and you wish I'd shut up because you know that's the one thing you're not doing. Ha, ding, get a clue, all right? Um, Because I'm not stopping, all right? So uh, what did the Lord highlight today for you in this arena. Take one or two things from it. Don't take I'm a massive failure. That's the devil. Take what's the one or two things I could really take and step with that would be helpful. Remember, you make a great you. You make a lousy Jesus. Don't over-amp, right? Trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, as we do this, as we come to this, You really are the good example. You're the, the good Father. And uh, Lord, as we come as brothers and sisters, as we come as couples before you, we know our flaws, we know we aren't perfect, Pam and I aren't perfect and neither are anybody else in this room. We've made mistakes, Um, there's things we wish we would have never said, there's things like have caught us flat footed and we're wondering, how did I not even get that, what did I miss? And uh, Lord, we just once again want to give our children, no matter what age they are this morning, to you, and we want to pray in faith that you would rescue them, that you would find them, that you would uh, take them under your arms, and Lord, give us wisdom to cooperate with you in that process and not get in your way. And we ask this in your name. Amen.